Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Um, and with us today is the co-host, Claire Van Winkle of Rockaway Writers Workshop. Hello. And after listening to our show, you guys should all go outside because it's not freezing cold today. <laughs> and I apologize in advance for my chipperness, but I'm really happy about that. It's so nice. So nice. The weather's finally improving. Yeah. So with us today is Lancelot Chaubert. Which yeah. is an awesome name, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Uh, I feel already like I'm going to be saved. <laughs> <laughs> Two excerpts of what Lancelot hopes to be his debut novel have sold to the New York Haven Review and the Mystery Review. He has sold poetry, fiction, and nonfiction to Tor McSweeney's po- Poker Pros World Series Edition. That's interesting. Poker Pros. Yeah, yeah that was actually uh, written with a buddy who was in prison at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was on prison bankroll management. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Many similar markets. Uh, Spark and Echo just chose him for the 2019 Artist in Residency. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Commissioning him to write four short stories. Uh, He's published in many anthologies and um, he is reinventing the photo novel for the digital age and caught the attention of Missouri Tourism State Board, uh, or Tourism Board, 
who commissioned him to write and direct a second photo novel, The Joplin Undercurrent, in partnership with his friend and photographer, Mark. Welcome, welcome. So, Thanks, you're, so you're doing a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have my hands in jars. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. There are so, cookies. So why don't we start with your uh, your novel, since that seems to be the... I forgot to ask uh, you what your yeah. favorite kind of cookie is, so... Oh, yeah. man. So, well... It's been a weird morning. Go with yeah. it. So, yeah. So I have a lot, but my what came to mind is actually my bride's favorite cookie, uh-huh. which is she's just always like, I need chocolate, chocolate, chocolate right now, which is like chocolate cookies with chocolate fudge and oh, chocolate chips. So those are the ones yeah. I end up buying the most. Yeah. But, but I like I like all kinds. I like ginger snaps around Christmas, you know. Yeah. Ginger snaps aren't really cookies, but we'll talk about that later. Whoa. Sorry. Oh, uh, there's gonna be, yeah, yeah. Gonna be a throwdown later. There was a whole there was a whole thing. There's a story to that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I Sorry, got us yeah. off track yeah, a little that's bit. Okay, that's okay. Um so yeah, why don't we start a little bit with your novel? Seems sure. to be or uh, tell us a little bit about the themes and the yeah. background. So yeah. it is no spoilers, please. Uh, I will try my darndest. Uh, <laughs> it is about four generations of carpenters in southern Illinois chasing a massive oil conglomeration out of the state using pranks. Wow. Oh wow! So it's like big yeah. elaborate. I don't know if you've ever read like the MIT guide to hacks and pranks, like these big elaborate pranks that you'll see. So I grew up around a lot of union boys that would pull like long, long cons on their friends. Maybe and that's what's happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're in God. the middle of a con. Oh, um, so yeah, so they would, they would pull these massive pranks and you know, there's, there's a lot of the stories are true. Like they'll, you know, I had my grandpa had a friend who asked him what he was eating one time. This guy lived down in Florida and he's like, I'm eating tacos. Like, that sounds great. Why don't you send me one? So he did. And it took like three weeks to get there. Oh, and yeah. Disgusting, yeah. moldy talk. So they would just do stuff like that. Or that yeah. same friend showed up and he, uh, you know, he knew he was in town because there was this massive military encampment built in his front yard with like a, a port, like a pig on a spit, like down to the detail of like what you would expect from like a 17th century uh-huh. <laughs> military encampment, you know, so they would, they would just do stuff like that to each other um which is kind of hard to clean up your front yard from that so anyway so these guys start kind of uh weaponizing that to a a large company can i just ask you are you from illinois i'm from southern illinois yeah and a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff in my family where uh, a common refrain was i should have got an attorney like (laughs) because of like so much that happened and so much that was stolen from them yeah and they just got dumped on over and over and over by these companies so um this was a way of tying a lot of both together yeah where is your family from originally like did they did your family come over from somewhere and settle in chicago or even settle in illinois yeah so 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 to give you an idea southern illinois um i i I was born in chicago you're born in chicago and i'm like polish stockyards chicago okay yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. so uh so my my stepdad is from like around that area Mm -hmm. um but we are actually three hours from Nashville. We're six hours oh, from okay. Chicago. So like down there a bit. Identity <laughs> uh, crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So a good chunk of my family immigrated from the Isle of Man. Okay. Um, during the English genocide. Um, there is a good chunk that are like a blend. So they're like Irish Catholic. Then there's a good blend that are like yiddish ish german so like all of the euchre yeah card playing influence of illinois indiana and then brooklyn obviously and then there's a mix of uh some roma and 
uh, Cherokee and Blackfoot. So, my, so I can kind of see like why you have so much going on. Yeah. yeah. All of these influences. There's a lot yeah. of, yeah. So the, the trilogy is called, I'm thinking of it as white trash magic. <laughs> so uh, it's oh, just, cool. it's uh, just yeah. that kind of like one man's white trash is another one man's treasure. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of the thing is like, what, what is dignity look like and what is actually, is there intelligence there? Is there culture there? Is there art there? Um, these sorts of questions that just get blown by the wayside. And a lot of books like Hillbilly Elegy and, and White Trash, the 400-year history of class in America, are dealing with these themes and really interesting. Educated was another one that came out recently. Yeah, um, that's very popular, yeah. Yeah, that are dealing with these really interesting themes of actually there's something, if you trace the history back, there's something racially going on there that we're not paying attention to. And we almost had this, you know, in 2016, we almost had this kind of like, I don't know, like a come to Jesus moment with the political establishment of like, wait, why did this happen? We almost had. Yeah, yeah. I, almost, I feel like yeah. with what's going on right now, people who have the best intentions are so caught up in the moment. Yes. And in just specific histories. Yes. So just looking at one storyline and we're kind of losing sight of just the overall view and how history got us here, especially this country's relatively short history. Yeah. Um. Yes. And where people came from and like how that influenced regions. Right. And, right. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of things. What that, we bring with us and what we leave yes, behind. Yes. So, yeah. And, and that has continued to be very important to me. And I don't think, you know, pointing to like, oh, you know, Russia, oh, these race, racist straw men. Right. He's pointing to like, I, I think those are important questions. And yeah. I think that's obviously happening. And I think there are also questions that we're ignoring because there's so much being thrown at us all at once. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's a really, it's a really difficult time <laughs> to navigate all of that. Well, we're so, losing some of the stories, yeah. like the stories behind the stories. Yeah. It's like we're uh, a spark notes of history right now. Yeah. 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 And so that's why I think it's really important that um, there's a, uh, an agent that just wrote a novel uh, Jewish fairy tale called the tale of sister winter or something like that. Uh, her name's Rena Rosner. I met her over at the world fantasy convention and, and it was one of those things like, Oh, here's a reclaiming of, mm -hmm. of part of this. And some of you were talking about the, the yeah. coche stuff. Oh, before. and I just had yeah. a brilliant inspiration VJ, uh -huh. <laughs> not to like, you know, tune my own horn or anything, but, um, I am officially saying that the Truth to Power show needs to put together a suggested reading list. Oh, oh yeah. And I think great, all yeah. of our guests should put a few <sighs> of their faves. And I think we can we start this yeah. like today yeah. on our on Facebook. Yeah. So coming soon to Facebook, Truth to Power <laughs> shows suggested readings. Um, and we'll okay. try to bring you stuff inspired by our guests and just stuff that VJ and I want you to read. We will try not to shamelessly self-promote, but we probably will anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back to this yeah. fantasy. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so this is, um, this doesn't bring in so much of the oil company, but it'll give you a, a feel for the voice. Um, and, the, and the novel's called Bell Hammers. It's out at seven different agents right now so if you're listening sorry what was that name again uh bell hammers where where, where does that name come from uh it's the made-up name of the town okay got um it. but it's also a ongoing metaphor for these guys that are like both you know the hard striking thing and also music okay all great. The same oh, yeah. thing. that night he fought a groundhog underneath the house uh, some of the house the newer part had a crawl space now technically they had a 
uh, full basement, even though it didn't cover the entire floor plan, but somewhere in there, Remy heard a rumbling at around two in the morning. Beth said, Oh, God Almighty, the earth is swallowing the house. Like hell. Remy grumbled, stirring awake. I was dreaming about tournaments. No time to talk about basketball. There's a monster under there, she said. Not basketball nights like Sir Lancelot used to fight in. Remy! I'm going. He got to going. Underneath that fiddleback-infested crawl space, a fiddleback is a word for a brown recluse spider, by the way, so that's kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> Underneath that fiddleback-infested crawl space, he used an old deer spotlight, you know, like hunters and the police both are using a dark woods, one for the living and the other for the dead. At first, all Remy saw was fiddlebacks, and Remy was scared. Kit and his youth had gotten bitten by one of those one time, and it was like the living dead. It was like death itself started to rot that boy's arm off, spreading like the plague, spreading like how Roddle spread in a tree trunk struck by lightning until it killed that boy. He moved past slow, scared for his life and his arms. Shining that light further, he saw one of them groundhogs had started digging on the north side. He got over there and didn't know if the thing had dug under it, under the whole house, under the wall. He looked up there and saw gnaw marks on the floor and a bit of light where they started to get through to his brand new family room, and oh, was he ever mad. But he wouldn't stick his hand under that hole to see. He wasn't about to have his hand eaten off by a groundhog, no, sir. He crawled back past all them fiddleback nests with struggle and sweat and fear and went upstairs and looked for a hand mirror, but he couldn't find one for the life of him. He looked everywhere he thought Beth might have in there. He couldn't get a mirror. Mom, he said to his wife, Beth. She'd gone back to sleep. Hippo shit, he called her. That's a story from earlier. She gets crapped on by the world's largest hippo. hippo you're which is, you're is, reading this so well. I'm just captivated in it. Yeah. I, I don't. Let, let's let your readers read the whole thing. Just, yeah. just keep going. Uh, <laughs> no criticism there. It's uh, just, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. He, <laughs> hippo shit, he called her. What? She asked. Shot up in bed. Did you get it? No, he said. Well, try. Do you have a hand mirror? What do I need one of those for? Lena does my hair. Damn it, he said. What, she asked. Is it a curse? Not quite, he said. Then why are you cursing? She asked. Because damn it, Beth, sometimes I like to at two in the morning when beasts of the netherworld have risen to tunnel my house. She snorted out a sigh. He said, get down there, under there, with a flashlight for me and stick your hand down in there. You must be crazy, she said. I'm saner than stainless steel. No, you're crazy, because only a crazy man wouldn't have the spine to shoulder his own curse like Adam did for Eve, asking his wife to grab hold of some monster in some pit because you got no spine yourself. Bryn, their son, was standing in the doorway, eating one of Beth's peanut butter cookies, munching loudly. What the hell you want, son? Remy said. Bryn munched loudly. Oh, go on, he said. Don't let me stop you. You don't understand, son. Stay out of it. Bryn said, Groundhog's under the house, wants to understand. Yeah, well, then you go under there with that big flashlight, stick your hand down in there and see if it's there and you can pull it out. I ain't going noodling for no groundhog, Bryn said. Then shut up and go to bed, Remy said, because it sounds like this whole house is as cowed as me. What are you going to do? Beth asked. Remy thought for a while. Bryn munched his ginger snap cookie. <laughs> That's not in there. They any good? Beth asked. Ain't none better. You know that, Bryn said. And we're still talking about the peanut butter cookie. <laughs> just, to, just to let you guys know so there's no confusion here. Okay, so keep eating the cookie. Keep on up. Beth tucked her chin and, and Beth tucked her chin and grinned like she did when she fished for a compliment and got what she wanted but still hadn't expected on the account of the insecurity her own daddy'd put in her. Remy said, Holes Apple's got a pistol. I don't have a gun, thirty two caliber. Bryn said, There you go. I'm leaving. <laughs> 
she said. You'll be shooting through the floor and I ain't about to die while lying down in bed. She got out of bed, went to the closet, started pulling out clothes to get ready. I'll set up the lawn chairs, Bryn said, and he went out and started both that fire and got stuff for s'mores. Hmm. Remy went over to Hole's Apples. It's no soul's hour by that point. He starts banging on the door. Jerry comes downstairs and opens the door and shout whispers in that horse way. Mad men trying to stay quiet for sleeping wives who wear the pants will do. <laughs> Remy, what in God's name? Don't use his name in vain, Remy said at a normal volume. Whatever this is, it has nothing to do with my own vanity. You need a new one, Remy said. I build nice vanities. I'm a carpenter, you know, Jerry. What do you want? Jerry shouted. Jerry didn't do too well low on sleep, you see. Jerry? Miss Holzapple called down. Oh, God, he said. You see what you went and did? I didn't shout none, Remy said. I wasn't the one shouting. Miss Holzapple came down in her nightie. Evening, Remy. Evening, he said. Sorry, Mama Holzapple, but I need to borrow your pistol. She gasped. I have an intruder, Remy said. She gasped again. Jerry, suddenly sober, said, come over here. Come over here quick. Now. Every man in Southern Illinois has a closet or a trunk where he keeps the guns in case of armed rebellion like Bloody Williamson. Jerry went to the closet where he kept the guns. One of them was that sawed-off 10-gauge with the double hair trigger Remy used to own back when the boys tried to teepee his house. Well, Remy got rid of that shotgun because it was a double barrel for one and because it was a 10-gauge for another and because it was sawed off for a third. And cause for a fourth, when you combined all that with a loose and faulty hair trigger on the back and you squeeze the front trigger, the back trigger will pull off a shot as well and you bruise your shoulder accidentally shooting both barrels at the same time. And also for a fifth, if you bumped it just right, the hair trigger would go off. When it went off, it'd make the front one go. So it was both barrels either way and he didn't want that, no sir. So he sold it cheap, hoping Jerry'd use it for parts because Jerry Holzapple liked his guns. That sold off faulty tin gauge was leaning in the closet full of buckshot while Jerry's in there rooting around for his thirty-two caliber pistol. Well, he bumped that faulty shotgun and it fell down on the floor and the faulty trigger got squeezed and both barrels went off. When they went off, both boys jumped up like alley cats when they hear a wolf set to howling. That shotgun blew a three-foot round hole clean through Jerry's outer wall. And luckily, there's an old elm tree not too far away and it took most of the shot, but a couple of them little BBs went, shattered the big bay window next door at Jim Johnstone's house. And then his lights are on and he's out in his yard cussing and swearing about hooligans breaking into his house. Some people get really tight and tense when they're scared. Some people fight and some people flee, but some people are more tightly wound than others. Some people spend so much time running around fighting and fleeing that when something really bad happens, they just go all slack like they took a morphine shot. How did that just happen? Miss Olzabel asked. Quite calmly, she sounded as serene as hot chamomile tea. If it can happen, Jerry said, it'll happen to Remy. <laughs> that sounds dark. She said, a guy named Moore wrote a law about it. He said, what can happen will happen. But that's both the bad and the good, Remy said. Not just the bad that can happen will happen, the good that can happen will too. And if you happen upon bad things like tonight, and in that moment you choose to happen, you're good on them bad things, more good than bad will happen in the end. I don't think I understand, Miss Holzapple murmured. Sure it does, Jerry started it. Shh, Miss Holzapple said, let's go cheer on Remy. Remy loaded up the gun and marched out the last night in the world, striding face first into the dark of the last night in the world. And before long, the whole damn neighborhood's standing around, Bryn's fire in the front yard, cooking s'mores, talking about baseball, sipping hot toddies, watching and cheering, well, everyone except some of the Texaco folk, as Remy, armed, crawls under the house with a pistol <clears throat> to chase the monster out. He crawled alongside the fiddlebacks, and he stopped and looked at them, one of them dangling like it was about to drop on his nose, and he felt his heart set to pattering. The good Lord said, 
Remy, have you seen a fiddleback giving birth to its young? No, Lord. He felt the good Lord smiling. Above him, that fiddleback started attaching an egg sack to its little cobweb, and then Remy saw all them egg sacks up above that it had already laid. You know that each egg sack of a fiddleback has somewhere between 31 and 300 baby spiders inside? Well, they just started hatching just then. The floor of his house, which is now the roof over his head, just starts boiling with baby spiders, just boiling and roiling. Remy was sweating. He said, but people used to worship spiders, Lord. They're not gods. I am. I want to squash them all. They're not demons either. They're not even death. They have my spirit of life in them, Remy. Remy looked at the spider again, threatening to fall upon him. Sister Fiddleback, he said, I pray you be patient with me as I pass. He moved through unmolested. There at the north side, he shined that light down into that hellhole again and saw them yellow eyes, plenty of them. He pointed him, his gun down in there at the groundhogs. The good Lord said, Remy. Remy's hand shook on the pistol. Have you ever seen how pretty a groundhog can be when it digs? No, Lord, now's not the time. <laughs> Seeing as how you're aiming that death cannon at it, I think at high time. They look like the swimming, Remy. I made them that way. Remy aimed his gun. They're just doing how I made them to do. Digging through my house. Remy asked, your house I gave you. I built it, Remy said, with hands I gave you, with a mind that received my gift of consciousness, with lungs that got my breath in him, and with wood that came from the stock of trees my spirit told grow. Tell me, which of these things did not come from the very dirt these groundhogs live and move in? Well, Remy didn't have no answer for that. He wanted to ignore the good Lord and put a bullet in these things and go to bed, especially with half the town cheering him on just outside the center blocks. Remy. Ah, oh, shit, he said. Can I just wound him a little? What you do is you'll choose him, but there is much mine as you. You do well to remember that. I'm going to wound him, he said. He pulled off a shot. And he missed all four of them. And his ears went ringing and them crazy ass groundhogs came out and clawed at his face and his arms and scared out of their mind. They went running all over that crawl space and he started shooting at them left and right and missed. My God, he was a horrible shot with a 32 caliber pistol. And he shot holes all through his family room floor, which hit pictures and books and things up above. Not the least of which was the grandfather clock John David had made them as an anniversary present from the benches of pews from Young's Chapel where they'd been married. Now somehow, someway, Remy reloaded it. Wounded too, and they ran off and never came back. He came out bloodied and beaten and wounded as the groundhogs. Oh my God, Beth said, let's fix you up. The men cheered. The women covered their mouths. The children looked at his bloody face in horror. Remy was down for days and then had to get to work repairing both Jerry's wall and Jim Johnstone's window. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, very nice. See, I was waiting on every pause and <laughs> anticipating. And it was Good. really well, well crafted. Well, Thanks. I want to ask you. Um, so I, I teach creative writing. Uh, oh, cool. Writing workshops, you know, yeah. every yeah. week I talk about. But um, your narrative voice, you do so much with dialogue. And this is something mm. that I always encourage. Building scene through interaction with so building this neighborhood mm. we learn there's a house when the window gets broken we mm. see the family room when it gets shot up like all of the physical things interacting with one another mm. but and most so much moving through dialogue um 
when you write, and, and there are just a few, and it's so strange because um, my my students tend to either want to do everything in the first person or like mm. the third person omniscient, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You have just a few instances of narrative voice getting us from one chunk to another. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed because it doesn't seem like a close third. Um, and And I'm just wondering in terms of when you sit down to write, are does does it come to you in terms of dialogue and character? Do you outline like how do you handle the narrator with a capital N in uh in a piece like this with so many characters interacting? I think if you knew how big of a question you were asking, you might not have asked it. But uh, I, you just throw God in there and let him do. No, it. no. Well, that is, that is an interesting question, but that's a, that's a whole different discussion of like why God shows up as a character and is bantering along with all the boys, you know, getting them into just as much trouble as the rest of them. But um, no, I think. I don't remember who said it, but he said, you never learn how to write a novel. You just learn how to write the one you're working on. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. it's a little different every time, but at the same, at the same time, these stories are told from the perspective of the grandson mm-hmm. because that's kind of my interaction. I interviewed a lot of guys for this to get s- sort of about 20,000 words with a fodder for about a 90,000 word novel. Um, so it's from that perspective, but it's also that character is very aware that uh, he's a narrator narrator Mm -hmm. and that he becomes a character in the third book so those those little so it's it's a bit of reporting wait i'll talk to you later kind of thing it's yes and also i realize that i'm shaping the narrative as i'm telling it okay so this is this is um a living backstory yeah it's a little it's a little metafictiony but not it's not heavy, right? But right, but that influences the way the story's being. So told. those little um, interjections by the narrator about who's doing what, where, and why. Yeah, those are just like the necessary info to get us through, so that we can keep watching what's going on. Yeah, or that kind of tee up, like you'll see in like, um, I can't think of the book right now, but like, uh, you know, I if you could, later. I'd be like, how do you remember that this early? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Lemony Snicket does it sometimes. Yeah. Where it's like, I'll, you know, we'll get to this later, but. You know, that's when I learned or that sort of thing. So that, that stuff comes up and, and the and the narrator becomes more aware that he's affecting the story throughout the course of the story and then things get weird. So like but not in this novel. This novel's pretty much straightforward. Oh yeah, satire. No, nothing weird about God talking about groundhogs and Well, I mean it's that this, so there's that kind of thing. I'm, weird there's, is good, by yeah. the way. Weird is my friend. So that's a compliment. Good. Yeah, no, it's very it's very magical realism y and it you know, you didn't want spoilers, but it does yeah. it gets it gets medieval by the end of the book, like just like th- this metaphor of Robin Hood and his merry men versus kind of the sheriff of Nottingham type. That's kind of the metaphor with the oil company and the union boys. So, um, so. is most of the book dialogue? I-, I would I would call this dialogue driven. Would you would you say like this? What excerpt that you just read in um, terms of m- moving from one to another? The characters interacting and moving. And telling each other to do stuff, I would just say what you read seemed very dialogue driven. Is the rest does the rest of the book focus as much on dialogue, or do we get more of the narrative voice as that character develops? It reads along at a steady clip, I think, but it's it's very. There are chapters that are very much like this, but there's um, it's anecdotal too. Because I'm getting all just, cart and horse here, and be like, I want to see this as a play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, um, it would work that way. Um, there, but there are sections. I'll play the groundhog. That, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a very kind of like St. Francis moment of like, but the but the animals, you well, know. Well, whatever. He uh, saw his motherfucking shadow. So. 
No, so uh, yeah. Yeah. So also I want to get in a little bit into kind of uh the faith and such. And uh, sure. some of our pre interview questions it seemed to come up a lot that um your beliefs and such and how you evolved from a young age to coming yeah. into the faith, coming into uh, you know, realizing these truths that you mentioned, you talk a little bit about that. And if you could tell yeah. us about tell that, us about just it, because yeah. our, our, yeah, our listeners do not have the benefit yeah. of our backstory. So yeah, yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about what you believe or don't believe or how those things affect your life. Yeah, yeah I think, well, I get asked about the, I got asked about this, the World Fantasy Convention. Why'd you put God in the story? Yeah. It's like, well, I God don't, is in every story, my friend. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> and there's also like, I don't know that I've ever had a story that, spoke about prayer without mentioning prayer like mm -hmm. how people actually interact with it and do it yeah so i wanted that to be a thing um because i find stories like that interesting um and they don't they don't come around in our culture that that often uh personally yeah i grew up in like a super um like i would i would call it like a re religious hypocrite kind of household uh that alienated me from a lot of folks early on in my life um, because of like some like really just dangerous ways of thinking about that I think um, and I kind of I got super suicidal um, and like pushing away from both that and like just my theater community and other things and that must um, have been tough balancing a I, I'm going to say toxic. I'm <clears throat> not trying to tread if that's the wrong word, but a, Some of it was. A, um, a tense, let's say religious kind of thing and a theater group. Like it seems like that would also create its own tension. Yeah. 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 yeah I, uh, yeah, it, it's the tension of my life. Um, yeah, it, it did. And it's intense. yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I got I got super su suicidal. I got super depressed, and um, bounced around to probably seven different psychiatrists and psychologists. None of them helped, although some of them benefited from it for their case studies for university. So, uh, you know, drugged me up a ton. On I was on probably five different medications. Um, one of them was basically legalized speed. One of them is uh, has a class action lawsuit. is a antipsychotic drug called Zyprexa. Uh, which I don't have the data on, so I can't get any benefit from the class action lawsuit. Yeah. But, you know, like all these different uh, things, uh, none of them helped. And I was like days away from taking my life. And my, my dad probably gave me two or three pieces of advice that were actually solid in my life. And this is one of them. He's like, this isn't going to get better unless you want it to. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll let you get off the drugs if, if you want, which in retrospect, going off all four of those simultaneously was probably not the <laughs> wisest decision, yeah. but, um, but I did. And then I spent about a semester of school, like just hashing through like, you know, what do I believe? And I went through like Wiccan friends and sanguinarian friends and, and man, like, uh, dualism and atheism and agnosticism. And I like, I went like the full circle and then so you went on like a faith slut rampage. Yeah, uh -huh. no, I like, I like, and like philosophically. So like analyzing down to the T, like what, what does this mean? Is this true? Um, and then I was, you know, invited from the 
backstage side of things on theater to actually perform which made sense i told you my first job was djing at yeah, the radio so great, yeah. um so like that made sense in that perspective and then i started encountering some of the romantics mm-hmm. i started encountering voices that were actually intellectual about the faith um and through that i have encountered you know huge huge voices like david bentley hart uh his amazing piece um the experience of god being consciousness and bliss which responds the being side responds to category errors that modern atheists and agnostics make when they say the word god they actually and and even when a lot of conservative religious people or deists say the word god they're not saying what most traditions mean when they say that Mm -hmm. so there's a there's like there's not even a conversation happening. They're arguing over different things. Religion is so yeah. infrequently a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and so that is problematic because they're talking past each other. And then the consciousness. And through and over and yeah. around. Yeah. And- yeah. yeah. And, and then the consciousness section is on like artificial intelligence, things like that. Um, and then bliss is about, you know, beauty and art. And so I processed through that. I processed through N.T. Wright's tome on um the historicity of the resurrection which most people don't interact with um which is problematic because it's the source on all of the historical data regarding the thousand years before and after the alleged resurrection of jesus so it's like the text you need to deal with and um so i read through that and some other things and and came to the conviction that this was legitimate and so i've hung on to that in the midst of theater and in the midst of writing and being alienated from, you know, that home church and also not quite fitting in, in the artistic community. So kind of a yeah. weird renegade that doesn't really fit in anywhere. It's so interesting me when you think about like when we, when we talk about the discussion about God and how some people define in certain ways and some people define in other ways. And then they're, when they talk past each other, it's like, you know, when you say one person says God does not exist and the other person says God exists and such it's like they're talking about different definitions of god yeah so yeah and we're here just in one language too if you think about the multiplicity of religions around the world and i'm a translator as well so when we talk about even translating within one one's language what does this word mean to you it's like love how many different flavors of the word love are are there and then there's god and there's god with a little g and then we just even looking at the fact that we so many speakers of english don't rec- realize that these big words mm. actually there are so many versions of them in other cultures and other languages and those versions have different subtleties yeah and so we need to we need to be talking about the nature of a thing yeah yeah I hey so say- sir how are you doing <laughs> yeah. yeah i would i would say like linguistic syntax is predicated on philosophical and metaphorical assumptions and yeah. logical thought so like so what you were bringing up um, is like a lot of people say God doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, that's that's a category error because classically defined in in uh, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, large swaths of Islam, yeah. uh, monotheistic traditions, polytheistic traditions that are predicated on mo- monotheism, like the pantheon, or you know, like um, they would say that God defines the grounds of existence. Yeah. So like you don't say that God exists because that says that he is a part of the known universe and both atheists and a lot of like really violent, like it's, it's analytic philosophy that's coming out. Yeah. And, and, and so you have like 
basically a large swath of the world's religions talking about one thing when they say being or when they say like ultimate reality and then everyone else thinking about like an old guy in a big beard that's like really really tall yeah or like you know like, like santa claus but mean yeah sometimes. yeah or or like you know even super strings vibrating in the 10th dimension okay that's still a that's still a thing that's still yeah. a part of the known universe so that's all of those things categorically are not what these great theological traditions are talking about um you know when you think about hinduism i know from my exposure to vedantic traditions that uh, many people believe that hinduism is polytheistic because of the different gods and yes. stuff. but actually uh, brahman which is the uh foundation of existence is kind of the the uh ultimate consciousness or the all yes is the sound of that ultimate consciousness mm -hmm. is the uh so hinduism ultimately is monotheistic or ultimately pantheistic or yeah yeah so so they believe in like one one consciousness that pervades all of existence like so, uh is it sat kit and anada or satin sat, sat kit and, and yeah i think yeah, i can't I, say yeah, it right I feel, but, yes again i think i forget, I forget the exact terminology but i know um uh like sat being sat is being yeah. yeah yeah that i know and uh keith i think is like uh the the devotional aspect like the mind of, uh, mi the mind yeah. the mind that's right yeah, yeah and then uh yeah so i'm not too familiar i'm not like a sanskrit person yeah i know yeah i know some of these terms uh such that um sanatana dharma would be like what what uh yeah. Hinduism ultimately is so the ultimate way or the being of of uh of existence yeah well, i so, also, Which is what that yeah. God means that. So, exactly, so. yeah, go ahead. No, I also think there's just, when we talk about these things, there, <sighs> and it does come up, but the difference between God and faith and philosophy and whatever and organized religion. Yeah. So the big guy sitting up there who's going to Zeus-like throw a lightning bolt at us or punish, I, I, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of political power to trying to guide people away from thinking too much yeah, about yeah. faith i think and that's unfortunate because it seems like what you both are talking about is faith in god as a, an exploration almost and yeah. uh, existing outside of the plane of existence that that kind of thing but still having qualities that we can yeah. look at and yeah. learn from well i think ultimately we have to think about in terms of the ocean the waves like the ocean has forces within itself the currents and all that and we're waves on that ocean so uh the waves are part of the ocean so they kind of they exist they submerge they are ocean but uh that's my understanding of the god consciousness versus our consciousness is yeah that we're you, all kind of expressions of that but let, let me talk tell I, me what how you define it yeah and also um i, I don't know i i wasn't quite sure um what you i mean i was throwing out my organized religion like thing i was brought up catholic by bad catholics meaning oh i'm sorry oh yeah. no, no 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 when i say bad catholics i'm not it's not bad parents it was like we'd show up late and take communion and yeah. disrupt everybody and then my mother would come home and we'd say why do you make us go to church and she'd be like well i was miserable going to church when i was a kid <laughs> yeah. so it, it was like that you know so yeah. so my views on organized religion oh, are man. yeah exactly yeah. Like that. so um yeah, i couldn't funny. i couldn't read your expression when i was talking about that i was speaking generally and mm. and specifically when the idea of organized religion is not about community but about power yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well i mean that's so so there's i think there's three things brought up there so the At first least. so the first i mean we're is, just talking about god here you know so nothing big so, yeah right uh just you know ultimate reality but so uh and beyond sat and, and be, 
Where's, mm. where's Buzz Lightyear when we need it? <laughs> so Sat and, and Keet? Or is, yeah. Okay. So the, so the trick there with the waves metaphor you used is, yes, we our being is predicated because the, the, ultimately the, the idea of being is that nothing is necessary. Cats are necessary. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But, they don't, but cats don't contain the cause of their own being as beautiful as they are. And so because of that, they're not their creator and nothing has that and so because nothing is necessary everything is like it just like existence is is gratuitous it's just like there's no you know it's just completely unnecessary and because of that what is necessary well something that you know on which all of that is predicated and kind of the waves metaphor you use but the trick is we also have individual consciousness. We have this first person perspective. So like I'm trusting, and this is what the Turing test is about. Are you talking yeah. about like phenomenology here? A little bit of phenomenology, but actually consciousness. Like right. um, the Turing test is actually say, like, I'm trusting right now that both of you aren't robots. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. And the way that I do that Be is, careful. is by knowing, uh-huh. is by knowing that I have first person perspective and I'm, and I'm uh-huh. assuming that. So like the whole love yeah. your neighbor thing is I am su- assuming that you are like me. And that you experience life through your eyes like I do. Yeah. And that allows me, and, and the only way I can do that is by appealing to being and through that conduit, assuming that I, you have a similar experience of consciousness that I do. So there's, it's both, we're a part of the waves and also we are individuals. That is a thing, you know? Um, and that dialogue between my very, very limited first person perspective and everything that is, is what creates those moments of beauty and bliss and, and wonder and, and, you know, at art or at, you know, whatever. So there's, so that's that piece. And the organized religion piece is very, very interesting. I, I'd love to hear more about your experience because I didn't grow up Catholic, but I did. There's a guy named Jeff Walling who said I had, I had a drug problem growing up that my parents drug me to church and drug me home. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so it's, yeah, I do have some of that. And it was, it was different, I think, because it was, it was very poor Appalachian movement, uh, independent churches of Christ, which rebelled against Presbyterianism. So it's like, you know, uh, very, very, very small. Um, but I do think that curiosity you're getting at is, is really important. And there are voices like in history, like Thomas Aquinas, who called his, himself the dumb ox. You know, but he was this brilliant philosopher analyzing Aristotle in the in the 12th century. So. And and read so incompletely in liberal arts core curriculum. Yes, that's they what tend I'm going to at. choose certain texts that yeah. paint the picture of religion that is popular at the time without looking at some of the questions that these people ask as well. Yeah. yeah. And so and so a lot of the liberal arts philosophy is actually predicated on this sort of curiosity on on logic, rhetoric, and grammar, leading to the quadrivium leading oh, to grammar. Your, yeah, it's like, yeah, there you go. And and leading like what we were talking about language syntax and the way thoughts organize leading to the study of subjects and and mastery of those things, which is not how we teach yeah. anymore. We teach that you start learning subjects when you're in kindergarten, you know. And then kids end up in algebra in the 12th grade and say when am I going to use this in real life? And then they end up in my creative nonfiction class and yeah. I make them go stare into other classrooms until they freak people out and then write about it. <laughs> and like, that's a totally different story. So yeah. one thing I want to ask you, I don't know yeah. if it's going to be uh, uh, diverging or... or oh, wait, can, I, can I just ask one thing yeah. about something sure, sure, that... Ahead, yeah. So, all right, necessary. This whole thing about yeah. nothing being necessary. I kind of want to know what you mean by that yeah. because the sort of dichotomous nature of language, if there's something, if we say there exists a concept called necessary, there mm-hmm. exists the corollary of unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What do you mean by necessary? So there's a philosophical concept called necessary and sufficient cause. Um, A gun is a necessary and sufficient cause for a mass shooting. If Mm -hmm. you remove a gun, you do not, you philosophically cannot have a mass shooting. And and practically are a government. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, so like that is, you can talk about the policy, but like categorically mass shooting implies gun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is a necessary and sufficient cause. Um, Necessary means it is like logical necessity is it is necessary for this thing to come about. Sufficient is um, these these are the limits by which like the 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 minimum things um, required in order for a thing to come about. Uh, and they sound similar, but there there's a no. I'm totally following you. It's just- so so philosophical necessity mm-hmm. would be that like none of the things that exists contain the cause of their own being, meaning th- that they are unnecessary. But yeah. how do we know the if, if what is necessary is um, predicated on what is sufficient for something to happen, um, how do we know if from our own perspective, like mm-hmm. from the perspective of witnessing a gun in a shooting, sure. we can look at sufficiency and, and necessariness, right? But in turn, and I'm not really even challenging this. No, it's um, fine. It's, You're challenging it. it, it it's, yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It, to me, the whole thing of, because I'm kind of from, and, and this might actually be, this happens so often when I say something that sounds like the opposite, but might be the exact same thing. Mm. Um, I kind of tend to come from the, the school, I, I call it a school, but it's really just like in my own head of, of that everything is necessary. Which is kind of, it has the same kind of like end result is nothing is necessary. I mean. I don't. Okay. Yeah. So this is, so this is a category thing. Um, I think I could be wrong, but I think what you're getting at is that everything we all, is. We probably all are wrong. Gun. <laughs> is, is that everything is beautiful. Everything is wonderful to interact with. There's a reason for everything. Oh, no, no, is I it, don't. No? I'm not talking about reason. I'm talking about um, in terms of, of necessary it's something a little bit more like we can't have a moment without a story. Every yeah. moment has a story. Everything, sure. Everything but exists, that, but yeah. that moment. So yeah. So that moment, uh, that is predicated on a story, which means that moment does not contain. I would say the story it, is predicated on a moment. Uh, another story would be. Okay. Yeah. So that, that moment could, pr- could predicate another story, but you, you said that that moment is, is predicated on a story. But so there's moment two stories itself, there. moment, the idea of moment is also a story. Sure. Yeah. But none of those things contain the cause of their own existence. Yeah. And that's, that's the logical thing that's interesting about that. This what about an idea? Does an idea contain the cause of its own no. existence? Okay. No. So what do you mean by the cause of one's own existence? I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm picking all this apart. No, it's fine. It's, co- I, this is like, it's turtles all the way down. I'm kind of trying. <laughs> sure. No. Yeah. No. Um, well, I mean, turtles all the way down. It's a tautological thing. But but to contain the cause of its own existence. So causality is talked about a lot in in scientific circles. And mostly we talk about efficient cause, which is like the agent, like the microphone maker or the DJ. Those are efficient. A DJ is an efficient cause for a radio show. Uh Okay. So typically that's what we're talking about causality. But there's also, you know, formal, final, like all the typical philosophical concepts. Right. When I say that nothing contains the cause of its own existence, I mean ontologically. I mean, okay. it 
does not it does not give itself permission to exist which makes it unnecessary and but, so something before it gives it permission to exist moment to moment i don't mean i don't mean yeah. in a material sense i mean moment to moment there is no reason for this microphone to continue being here yeah that should blow your mind yeah i mean basically we're we're perceiving it so we're continuing yes. this existence so the microphone well, is dependent kind of. on our mind on our mind right well this this could and we're run creating up. it every moment well and we and, are interacting with it every moment but also we're creating it as a microphone every moment wouldn't you say I don't, think, like, I don't think I don't think that you have any power to create that microphone. Just to simplify uh, things, sustain the microphone. Sustain the microphone. I would say. I also don't think yeah. you have any power to sustain the microphone. Well, we have I mean, the power to use on, it to talk to you, all of you. I, no, yeah. but let, let me simplify things a little bit yeah. and like throw some quantum physics in here. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, in in terms of nothing being necessary and everything being necessary, sure. Um, and to, I don't know. Let's bring in a little Schrodinger because hey, cats. Because um, <laughs> hey, cats. So. In, if you think of the uh, multiple worlds theory, sure. Um, then, which I'm a Marvel fan, by the way, so I'm all, I'm down. So, yeah. so in terms of that microphone existing or not existing, sure. If every possibility exists in some iteration in mm -hmm. the many worlds theory, then the doesn't the point become that necessarily some microphone must exist somewhere? Gamayun. All the stories, everything that could happen, if if we consider the many worlds theory, then maybe this necessary, maybe this microphone in this version of mm -hmm. our world in this moment in this building whose rent is going up, which <laughs> sucks. So donate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which sucks. So donate. Yeah, this world. <laughs> there's another world where we're all paid and stuff, but it's sure. not this one. Um, anyway, yeah. so in, not in terms of challenging the necessary, but if we look into the multiple worlds theory, that seems to contain the permission for its own existence because the per the idea of the permission for existence exists in those worlds. Like in many worlds, we have to say that the, the only rule of the many worlds theory is that somewhere in some world that microphone exists. No. No? Um the last thing you said was correct, but no, that would not be necessity because you're still dealing with an idea. So where does, where does the, the idea, the idea of possibility does not contain the cause of the idea of possibilities existence. So how yeah. does this, in, so is what this coming to the idea that God or whatever you, however you want to name that is the only entity that contains within it the cause of its own existence? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I, th I, think, I think yeah. so. Uh, I think so. It's 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 kind of what you were getting at with being. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is not this is not a particularly Christian thing. This is in yeah. every great monotheist. No, this, we're having a conversation about you know little things like existence here. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the kind of so, religious conversation I love because yeah. it talks about the nature of things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and that and I, I it's it's the argument from infinite regression, and a lot okay. of times it's it's used uh by atheists uh, but it's really funny because it was it was invented by theistic thinkers well atheism is or it is a religion yeah and <laughs> it's and, and that and so like reducing back if you actually trace it back you start to realize that that there nothing inside the known universe or the theorized universe or the potential universe or what about the recognition of not knowing <clears throat> um 
the recognition that there are things so in like agnosticism no no i'm talking about um so just Cochet, deathless okay in, sure, in sure. the class i was teaching yesterday we were talking about um try the impossibility of considering a gray area between life and death because we experience life but the human mind cannot conceive of its own non-existence sure but yeah. we understand that there is non-existence and so there's a certain point where we know that we don't know something or that we can't know something um well death is not non-existence right right but i'm t i'm, I'm yeah. t talking about in terms of certain you say death is is non there are, however you want to talk about what happens to the body consciousness energy all of that stuff i'm talking about our mind all of us as individuals existing how we are cannot conceive of not existing as ourselves like i can try to put myself in your in your shoes sure. but in no matter what you think about what happens after death the one thing if we're thinking about ourselves after death the ourselves part is still in there even if you're thinking like oh i will ashes to ashes dust to dust i will become part of the universe there's still the i in there and thinking about what happens to you yeah so so that's so that's a problem with consciousness but that's not a problem with reason okay and if and how, if, how is that not a problem with reason if reason is part of the first person experience reason is not part of the first person ex experience otherwise you can't use reason but doesn't so you would say that reason is more a tool through which we can interpret the first person experience of the world if capital r reason does not exist uh -huh. then we cannot elucidate truth at all we cannot explain that a little bit well it assumes it assumes that we are appealing that that things are true is well, one of the okay, things so, that it's so that's assuming. we're diverging here because I, I i'm not really saying that reason is true i think of reason as like a process yeah i don't okay yeah i uh because if if you are trying to make sense of a thing right you're assuming that there is a sense in which the thing is true and you can and you can build from smaller pieces of knowledge to or there's a pieces. theory in which something might be true that's more the way that i think like there's a theory in which something might be I true wait, guys guys it's only a few more minutes <laughs> <laughs> I'm so we sorry. No, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> BJ, uh, I'm sorry. I was yeah, like on this thing. Okay. No, I'm fine. Oh my god. Yeah. Can we just go for another hour and I'll and VJ you can just talk and I'll just curl up in the corner and <laughs> No, we have a few more minutes, but I just want to give a uh, quick shout outs to Oh um, man. Quick shout outs before we end. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um yeah, the, the the quick uh Ready Fear Brooklyn is doing um a name of my queen of our world tonight, three eleven at nine PM at Pine Box Rock Shop. Uh, DJ Defiance, hold up your host of Up Yours. Uh, Sundays at 8 p.m. is hosting a night at the Pine Box Rock Shop. Celebrate Women, uh, Nine Binary, and GNC folks in the punk music. Are you, uh, are you, or are you not a typical girl? Do you think, oh, bondage up yours? Do you think you're the queen of the neighborhood? And, and are you? Do you think you're the queen of the neighborhood? And are you? Come to <laughs> Pine Box Rock Shop for great teens, great people, and great fun. So come to Pine Box Rock Shop tonight, 311 at 9 p.m. And also, I uh, just wanted to say, um, Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit, as we hinted at earlier. Uh, you know, our rents are going up, so please consider sponsoring the Truth to Power show. Yeah, so sponsors. Get more and tag us and share us and love us and help us justify our own existence. If yeah, existence definitely, is definitely. Real. <laughs> Go to slash donate. And you can look up on the slash truth to power. You can see the sponsor the show link. 
So please consider uh, clicking on that link and putting in your Truth Power as a mm. sponsorship to help us uh, uh, cover exist. our... Yeah, exist and cover <laughs> in, our, in this of the many monthly, worlds. Yeah, the monthly, monthly dues and such. Become the efficient cause of this radio show. Can, can thank I, you, thank uh, you, yeah. Can I throw one thing out there and not, yeah. I'll try to make this way really fast. So for the first time ever, Rockaway Writers Workshop is going to be offering an actual class, Ooh. not so much a workshop, but I am, I'm so absolutely in love with teaching creative nonfiction that this summer Rockaway Writers Workshop is going to be offering an eight week nonfiction class, uh, creative nonfiction class, two hours a week using Google Classroom, other online interfaces. It will involve a full sil- syllabus with readings distributed and um, homework assignments uh, on an adult Let's all engage in this as much as we can kind of way. Uh, please visit rockawaywritersworkshop.org. Sign up for the mailing list. Contact me, Claire Van Winkle, directly on the Rock, uh, Rockaway Writers Workshop Facebook page. I need to see how much interest there is in this. So it's going to be a super awesome class. And I want to do it. So please tell me if that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds summer, good. Great. Summer. Summer. Okay, keep going. No, I'm just playing some pop music. Like, let, if I play enough down. music, she'll shut up. Yeah, I know. No. It's good. It's all good. It's all good. We still have like a minute or two. Philly, so, uh, it's all yeah. you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting conversation. I hope we'll we'll get the chance to continue at some point. Yeah, I'd yeah, love to come back. I think this whole uh, uh, being and, and, and sustaining, I, I specifically was uh, thinking about how in Buddhism, we think about the mind as creator of all things. And how the differentiation between, you know, my mind and mine. And capital M mind. A capital yes. mind is something that's very important to distinguish yeah. in any faith. Yeah, I think you know, that's huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the disappearance of the self. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah. that there is no self ultimately. That we think we cling to ourselves as being real. But we exist interdependent with all the things that exist around sure. us. So, yeah. yeah, and that's a question about desire at that point. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably where we'd end up diverging. Uh-huh. But, but it's... You know that the the idea that if you get rid of all desire, then you're okay. But yeah. that itself is a desire. Yeah. And so it's it's actually a built-in contradiction there that I think is very interesting. Oh yeah, actually, as we started right now, I'll just say, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, when you go back to the original sutras and such, Buddha felt to cultivate desires, cultivate the right desire. Yeah. So, so that's that, that's, that that's where I would agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. The ultimate desire versus proximate desires. Exactly. Yeah. The that's selfish, great. egocentric desires are yeah. ultimately the cause of suffering. Whereas, sure, you like know, power or money. Or exactly. Exactly. And these things lead honor. to suffering, lead yeah. to dead ends. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good. No, I agree with that entirely. Sure. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. So I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we had this talk. Thank you for it's having really me. Great. I'm so Thank you so, so grateful much. for you guys. And this was. I don't need coffee now, so yeah. Just, yeah. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. I still need coffee. Oh. We'll go buy you some some, some coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let this. Believe play it or out not, me. I get I get more hyper than this. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I'm down. All right, cool, cool. We have about 20 more seconds. Please enjoy the music. Thank you. Bye. Have a great week. Happy great Monday. Week. Thank you.